Good morning, Evangel. Good to see you here on this rainy fall day. We're going to invite you to stand with us and we're going to sing some theology before we begin today. In the darkness, we were waiting. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven. Thank you. 
everybody doing on this rainy fall morning great great to see you without leaving your seat just turn wave smile with your eyes say hello for those of you who are at home we want to welcome you 
Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, it's great to see you and to hear you this morning. And uh, you guys, worship team, doing a great job. So thank you so much. Great to be here to worship together today. Just want, I just have one announcement. I wonder if we could get the offering summary slide. I just, just want to draw attention to that for just a moment this morning. Uh, about, well, right now we're about 18 months ago when, when things first shut down with COVID, we saw a significant drop in, in financial contribution. And uh, we've weathered that for about 18 months. And, and because some of the things we haven't been able to do, we, we've been able to handle it by our spending being lower. But as things start to kind of wind back up slowly and we're doing some of the things we were doing before again, uh, you know, we're, we're budgeting for September for our, our offerings to, to start to rise again. And so uh, in September... Uh, unlike Jesus, our offerings did not rise again, and uh, so I just want to, uh, they're still in the grave, and so I just want to encourage you, uh, as, we, as we go into the last three months, uh, there's a lot of exciting things, I believe, that God has for us in our future, and of course, doing things that God desires of us takes resources, and uh, so I'd like to be able to see those numbers start to reclimb again, to climb back up there again. So thank you for uh, your faithfulness, and just encourage you, those of you, if you can step up a little more, or those of you sort of taking a bit of a vacation on, on giving during this time, just encourage you to kind of get back into the stream of things and, uh, and move this thing along. So uh, thank you. That's it. That's all I want to say about that. Uh, kids, JK to grade five, if you could just go around the back. And uh, yeah, awesome. JK to grade five, you can head out, your leaders can head out with you. And just parents, just a reminder, at the end of the service, you can go to this door over here where the kids are heading out and just wait for them there. And uh, you can pick them up right at that door. Thank you. God bless you. And I'm going to hand it back to Carlene. You can remain seated and we'll invite you to stand and join us in a few minutes. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things
Jesus Christ. 
the mountains, Jesus in the streets, oh, Jesus in the dark Oh, we sing, Jesus, for my family. I speak the holy name. Oh, Jesus. Shout, Jesus. Shout, Jesus, from the mountains. Jesus in the streets, yes. Jesus in the darkness over every end. I'll speak the holy name, Jesus. Your name, your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows.
that hold while we need Jesus for family situations that are not as it is in heaven I pray this morning that you would tune our eyes so that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim and it is in your name Jesus we ask this Our scripture reading this morning is found in Acts chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 to 18. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. I replied, rather, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think 
that I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You may be seated. I have been thinking a lot lately, probably obviously, about safety. Safety, and I'm sure you have too. Specifically, I've been thinking about safety within the context of the church community. Now, physical safety has always been important, and it's especially important now during a global pandemic. However, I want you to know today that the safety that has dominated my thoughts and prayers is not as much about physical safety as it has been about emotional safety and spiritual safety. I think it would be safe to say, pun intended, that the church community should be a safe place for everyone. It should be a safe place for everyone. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. But the sad truth is the church is not always a safe place for everyone. It just isn't. This past week in Canada was the first national day for truth and reconciliation. And and I was reminded afresh, and, and you as well, that the church, which should be a safe place, is not often or is often not a safe place at all. And so we reflected on the atrocities inflicted on children who suffered physically, emotionally, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, within an environment and at the hands of the very people who should have kept them safe, in fact, who should have never taken them from their families in the first place. Now, sadly, church history is riddled, riddled with examples of beliefs and of behaviors, of the institution itself having greater importance than people who are created in the image of God. Our history is riddled with that. We not only see it in history, but even in the day and age right now, in this modern time, right now as we are standing here, there are examples all over the world right now where the church continues to be rocked by scandals and people who should have been safe within the church community have been hurt and disillusioned. Any church environment that elevates the protection of the institution, that elevates the beliefs that the institution holds, that elevates the behavior that the institution expects over the value of a human being created in the image of God is an unsafe environment. It's an unsafe environment. What makes the church community safe is a group of Christ followers who live out the love and grace of God in their lives and in their treatment and acceptance of other people. We cannot make the unconditional love of God conditional. We cannot make the unconditional love of God conditional. 
Because when we do, as Peter said in our scripture this morning, we stand in God's way. We stand in God's way. And I want you to know today, the last thing I ever want to be guilty of is standing in God's way. The early church fell into this trap, and it took a miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit to correct it. And so today, as we look and consider our final message in our current sermon series, which we've entitled, Now What?, we'll see that you know, we'll see this happening and we'll, we'll see how they resolved it and how they worked through it. Throughout this series, I have said that in every challenge we face, there's a choice that we must make. The first week, we asked the question, are we going to pray or are we going to panic? In the second week, we asked the question, are we going to finish or are we going to fade? Last week, which was the third week, we asked, are we going to sing or are we going to sulk? Now, all three of these questions, all three of these first sermons in this series have focused on our response, our individual response to hardships in our own lives, responses to hardships in our own lives. But today, as we, we conclude this series, the focus shifts outside of our circumstances towards others. And the question that we are faced with today is this. Are we going to receive or are we going to reject? Are we going to receive or are we going to reject? Acceptance and safety came easy for the early church. As long as those coming into the church came from either Judaism for, or, or they first converted to Judaism and then became followers of Jesus. But things became challenging when outsiders became followers of Jesus, when, when they were formed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but they hadn't converted to the practices and the regulations of Judaism. And so with this, the church was forced to struggle with the question, now what? Now what? This is different. Now what? Well, today's scripture highlights this struggle and provides us insight into the moment when the church was able to receive and not reject, even though it made them feel very uncomfortable. And so we are going to be reminded today that the love of God creates a safe community where everybody is accepted and everyone experiences his grace. Let's start with Cornelius. Our scripture today centers around two Holy Spirit-inspired visions. The first vision took place in Caesarea, which at the time was the, uh, you know, the Roman capital of Judea. And Cornelius was the person who experienced this first Holy Spirit vision. We're told he was a centurion. He's in the Italian regiment and likely stationed in Caesarea, and he's responsible for a command or a group of soldiers. Cornelius's spiritual journey was unique. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. He wasn't even a follower of Jesus. 
but he had a longing and a desire for God in his life, which resulted in him contributing to help the poor and also contributed to him praying to a God that really he didn't know or understand. He was a spiritual seeker, but he really didn't understand who it was that he was seeking. And so at three o'clock in the afternoon, an angel, a messenger of God, appeared to Cornelius in a vision and called him by name. And, and this was clearly an unexpected experience for Cornelius because, you know, he stared at the messenger in fear and said, what is it, Lord? Recognizing that whatever this is, is greater than him. And, and he doesn't really know how to respond. And so the messenger responded to him and says, Cornelius, your prayers, your gifts, your generosity actually have come up as a memorial offering before God. In other words, the messenger is saying to him, God knows you, Cornelius, even though you don't know him. What you have been doing in an attempt to respond to God has not gone unnoticed to God. God sees you, Cornelius. God hears you, Cornelius. And God is pleased with you. Now there's something you need to do, the messenger says. You need to send someone to Joppa and find someone named Simon Peter. And this is where he's staying. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, in a house by the sea, and so that's what I want you to do. Now, I want you to notice there's no reason given. He doesn't say, and this is what, why you need to do it, and he doesn't promise anything, and if when he comes, this is what's going to happen. All he leaves them with in the message is, you need to send for Peter. And Cornelius immediately responded and sent two of his servants and one of his soldiers to Joppa to find this Simon Peter person and bring him back to Caesarea. So we have Cornelius. Then we have Peter. Now, up until now, Peter's ministry, Peter's ministry himself and those who were working with him, was focusing on convincing the Jews, as well as Gentiles who had converted to becoming Jews, that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. That was the focus of their ministry. Now, to move Peter beyond this ministry focus to a broader acceptance it required a special encounter with God. And so the timing of Peter's vision is the day after Cornelius' vision. It's noon, and Peter went up to the rooftop to pray, likely seeking a place of solitude. And while he's praying, we're told he became hungry. Now, he must have requested food from his guests because it says while he was waiting for his food to be prepared, he fell into a trance and had a vision. In the vision, a large sheet was lowered down from heaven to the earth by its four corners. And the sheet was filled with animals, birds, reptiles of different types, and maybe not all, but most of which were considered unclean in the Jewish faith. And so the voice in the vision spoke to him and said, Get up and eat. Get up and eat. And Peter was shocked. And he refused. He says, surely not, Lord. I'm not doing this. 
I have lived my entire life as a Jewish believer and I have never eaten anything impure or unclean in my entire life. And I'm not doing it today. The voice spoke a second time and said, Peter, don't call anything impure or unclean that God has made clean. This vision was clearly bigger than debating which food was acceptable to eat. That's, that's not what it was about. This is an illustration of the Jewish-Gentile relationship and the implications of that in continuing on and carrying out the mission of Jesus. And so three times Peter is asked to eat, and three times he refused. And the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Now Peter was perplexed about the vision and what it meant. And he's in deep thought. He's processing what he just experienced, trying to kind of get his head around it. And in the meantime, the three men from Caesarea arrived at the gate of the house. And they called out to Peter. But Peter is so perplexed, he's so deep in thought that, that he didn't hear them call out. And in fact, we're told that it is the Holy Spirit that told Peter that the messenger's arrival and, you know, the messengers had arrived and urged him to go to them because I have sent them. So Peter went to meet the messengers and said, why, why are you here? Why are you looking for me? And they told him about Cornelius. They told him about the vision. They told him about the mission they were sent on to bring Peter back to Caesarea. And so Peter received the Gentiles into the house as his guest. Now, it's important to notice here, he's already moving towards receiving and not rejecting as a result of this vision. And the next day, Peter and the six brothers from Joppa and the guests from Caesarea set out for the house of Cornelius. Now what? Well, in the next part of the story, the two independent visions converge. Cornelius was expecting the group's arrival and had gathered together a, a group of relatives and close friends. The hors d'oeuvres are out. The punch is in the bowl. They're waiting for him to show up to hear what he's going to say. After all, if God was going through this much effort, this must be really important. Cornelius came out to greet Peter and fell at his feet. Cornelius clearly didn't understand spiritual protocol. And so Peter scolded him and said, stand up. Don't, you, can't, you can't worship me. I'm just, I'm just a man like you. you. You can't worship me. And so they go inside and there's a large group that's waiting in anticipation. What would Peter say to them? Why was all of this constructed by God? And Peter starts by saying, you know, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. I just want to clear the air. I want you to know that that's our position. But, but, God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean, so I came without resistance. Now, what is it you want? And Cornelius told him about the vision and said, we're, well, we're, ju we're just here to listen to everything the Lord has given you. And so Peter began to tell them about Jesus. And as he was speaking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came on all who were listening. All. All. 
every last one of them. And these unclean Gentiles began speaking in tongues. Now, I want you to notice that Luke doesn't say the believers from Joppa, the Christians from Joppa, the Christ followers from Joppa. No, he says the, the circumcised believers from Joppa, the so-called clean ones. They were amazed that the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles since they had received the Holy Spirit just like they did on the day of Pentecost. They then baptized them. Now, I wish I could tell you that they all lived happily ever after as one big inclusive family of Jews and Gentiles, and it all was just harmony, but that's not what happened. Because the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard about what happened. Word spread fast. And so when Peter went back to Jerusalem, Luke tells us that the, quote, circumcised believers criticized him. You went into the house of a Gentile. You ate with Gentiles. Gentiles are unclean. You can't go to their house. You can't eat their food. You, they can convert to our ways and then be saved, but otherwise you have to stay away from them. Now, in fairness to these critical, <laughs> circumcised believers, <laughs> they had oriented their lives around the law of God, the teaching of their spiritual leadership for generations. And the law clearly taught them that circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his people, a symbol of relationship with God, fulfilling a requirement of God. The law clearly taught them that Gentiles were unclean, that certain foods were unclean, that being in the home of a Gentile was wrong. And so it was difficult for them to process that what they had been taught, what they had believed God desired of them, what they had committed their lives to doing for so many years and so many generations, now was seemingly in conflict with what the Holy Spirit was doing. What are they going to do with this? Now what? And so they listened to Peter's explanation. And it says they became very quiet. It's a sobering moment. It's a sobering moment when, when all that you believe and all that you've done is, is, is stripped and laying in front of you and you're trying to figure out, did, you know, did I get it wrong? What, what am I supposed to do that's right? It's a sobering moment. They went quiet. But their quiet, quiet quickly turned to praise. And this is what they said. God has granted even the Gentiles repentance on to life. Even these unclean, impure, vile Gentiles can be saved and filled with the Spirit just like we were, get this, without becoming like us. Without becoming like us 
like us. There are two insights from our text today that I would like to focus on. And my goal this morning is to point out a couple of principles that I see in this text and leave it with each of us to prayerly consider how the Holy Spirit is leading each of us in regard to these. The first is inclusion. As is clearly outlined in our scripture today, the early church struggled with the issue of inclusion, of receiving those that they deemed to be sinful and undeserving. The early church resisted accepting Gentiles into Christian fellowship unless they were willing to become just like them in their beliefs and practices. Now, it's important to note, and this is really important, that it was God It was God. It was not Peter. It was not the church members. It was not the circumcised believers. No, it was God who initiated the removal of the barriers that kept these so-called unclean people out. It was God that did that. It was God that brought them in. It was God that showed his approval for them by miraculously filling them with his Holy Spirit. God doesn't fill people with his Holy Spirit that he rejects. (laughs) He's inviting them in. Peter was the instrument used to accomplish God's purposes, but it was the Holy Spirit that was the, the person who was creating this new reality. It was the Holy Spirit that brought these visions independently to Peter and to Cornelius. It was the Holy Spirit that sent the messengers to get Peter. It was the Holy Spirit that told Peter it was okay to go with them. And it was the Holy Spirit that showed God's approval by baptizing them just as he did the others on the day of Pentecost. It's also important to note that the sheet in Peter's vision came from heaven. It originated in heaven. The sheet was God's sheet, and yet it contained what Peter believed to be unacceptable and inappropriate. We we need to see these things in this scripture. Peter knew that this was about more than food. He struggled because even though he personally had experienced the grace of Jesus in his own life, and he personally was preaching the grace of Jesus to Jews that were in Jerusalem, he limited the reach of the grace of Jesus because grace for Peter had significant conditions attached. And rather than receive his first inclination was to reject. Peter did not and could not comprehend the full reach of the love of God to demonstrate his grace to everyone and to include everyone. Now, I suspect today that many of you are like me. We've received God's incredible grace in our lives. We long to to share his grace, to show his grace, so that others, too, will come to know him like we have. But we struggle. We struggle to comprehend the full reach of God's love and grace. It's hard for us to get our heads around and our hearts around. Because the truth be told, God's arms reach much further and open much wider than ours do. 
And so the challenge for all of us today is simply this. Don't stand in God's way. When I read those words in that scripture, I had read this scripture a thousand times in my lifetime, but when I read those words this week, I thought, oh my God, don't stand in God's way. Don't impede the reach of God's arms of grace by confining his reach to our comfort level, to our preconceived ideas. Personally, I never want to be in God's way. I never want to be responsible for limiting God's love and grace. I want to receive, not reject. Secondly, caution. Luke goes to great lengths in our scripture to show us the contrast between Cornelius and his household and the believers in the early church. And he, he uses very specific terms. He, compare, he calls them the circumcised versus the uncircumcised. He calls them the clean versus the unclean. He refers to them as the accepted versus the rejected. Now, Luke's most powerful comparison, I believe, is between the Jews that the early church were trying to convert and the Gentiles that they were rejecting. Many of the Jews at this time rejected what God was doing. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They weren't buying into it. That's why they had Jesus crucified. They, they couldn't get their heads around. They couldn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. And even after Jesus' death and resurrection, many of them were still denying that he was the Messiah. They insisted on, instead to focus on their practices. We're going we're gonna to focus on our practices. We're going we're gonna to focus on our laws. We're going to focus on our ritual, rituals. They were choosing legalism. They were choosing the institution over grace and acceptance. Now, in contrast, we had this Gentile foreigner. He doesn't know the law. He doesn't know the rituals. He doesn't know the practices. He doesn't even know God. He hasn't been saved by Jesus. He didn't hear the message up until now. He had no idea. Yet his desire and his longing for God resulted in his prayers and his actions rising as an offering that is pleasing to God while the institutionalized religion was repulsive to God. God even said, I don't hear your prayers. I'm not listening to you. To the religious establishment, God says, I don't hear you. But to this Gentile, unclean foreigner who had no right, God says, I'm seeing what you're doing. I'm hearing you. I'm listening. And I'm responding. Folks, the truth is, God has always been and will always be more concerned with the heart of a person than legalistic rituals. It's not enough that his name is on our lips. It's not enough that we follow the rules. It's not enough that we're a part of some organization or institution if his grace is far from our hearts. And so I applaud Peter, really. And I applaud the early church believers because even though they knew the word of God, even though they had applied it to their lives as best they could, even though they, they thought they had it all figured out, when they were confronted by the Holy Spirit, 
that perhaps they got it wrong, they were willing to accept what the Spirit was doing, even though it went against everything they had ever been taught to believe. In fact, they didn't resent God's grace. Remember? They went quiet. It was somber. And then it broke out into worship. Once they signed on, they really signed on. And I believe that this passage reminds us today to be very careful. To be very careful. It's easy to fall into the trap of focusing our relationship with Jesus on what we're, we do. It's easy to focus our relationship with Jesus on our opinions. And I know there's lots of different ones out there. Trust me, I get to hear most of them. It's easy to fall into the trap of focusing on our activities, on our religious practices. Yet in the midst of all of that, we can miss the very heart of God and limit the expression of grace that he desires to demonstrate to others through our lives. It is important that the word of God guide our lives. But that being said, how we interpret the word of God may vary and in fact not be correct. There are many people who love Jesus and live their lives based on scripture, yet they interpret scripture different than other people who love Jesus and live their lives based on scripture. Right? The danger, if there's such a thing with scripture, is we sometimes make it say what we want it to say. Or what we've always been taught it says this, and so we'll make it say this till we die because that's what we were told it meant, and we, we don't want to change our perspective on that. Or we interpret scripture on based on what we think it is saying, or what we're comfortable with what it's saying. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people pray scripture inappropriately or share scripture inappropriately, they're missing it. They're missing the point. Now you say, well, why? Because you got it all figured out? Seriously, people. I'm just joking. It's all in how we see it. And that shape. So we have to be careful. And so I would suggest today that a better approach is to let the, the truth of scripture speak to us, even if it makes us uncomfortable. The same Holy Spirit that inspired our scriptures is able to help us understand and apply Scripture in a way that demonstrates the inclusive love of God and creates a safe environment. And we might just find ourselves, like Peter and the early church on occasion, being challenged by the Holy Spirit to get out of the way. <laughs> to get out of the way. And allow God to receive people that we're inclined to reject. I'm going to invite our worship team back. The question that confronts us today is, are we going to receive or are we going to reject? Are we going to be people who join with God in demonstrating his grace or are we going to hinder God's plan of love and acceptance for everyone? Folks, we can't make the unconditional love of God conditional. A safe, a safe church community 
is a community of Christ followers who live out the love and grace of God in their lives and in their treatment and acceptance of others. The love of God creates a safe community where everyone is accepted and everyone experiences his grace. Would you stand with me this morning? Fittingly, we're going to celebrate communion together in a few moments. But before we do, I'm going to invite our worship team to lead us. And we'll come back in a moment. I'll give you some instructions about your communion packet you received on the way in. And we'll celebrate together. But I want to encourage you this morning. As you celebrate and acknowledge the work of Jesus in your life, the grace of God that you've experienced. I encourage you this morning to say, Holy Spirit, how is, are there ways that I'm, I'm hindering, I'm limiting, I'm in the way, I'm keeping others from experiencing what I have because I bring so much into this that I'm actually in your way? I just encourage you to do that this morning as we sing together.
morning you would have received a self-contained communion elements. For some of you, you've been a part of using these for quite some time now. For others of you, this may be new. The simplest way to access is to push the little tab down so that the clear cellophane top separates and then you pull it back to access the wafer and then you pull back the plastic covering to access liquid. Folks, there's no greater example of how inclusive the love of God is than what we witness in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 20. Jesus was sharing what we refer to as the Last Supper with his disciples. And around that table was Judas, who will betray him, and Peter, who will deny him, and the others who will fall asleep while he is agonizing and then later abandon him and run for their own safety in his darkest hour. That's who was around that table. We can glamorize it all we want. We can spiritualize it all we want. But around that table were individuals who were flawed and broken and struggling and challenging, who, who claimed to understand but often didn't get a lot of it at all. Yet he shares that moment with them, symbolizing what he's about to do on the cross and reminding them that they're all welcome at the table. They're all equally included in sharing the celebration with him, even though one of them is going to be responsible momentarily for his arrest. It's a reminder to all of us that we are all invited, we're all included, we're all welcome to his table. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, we read, and he took bread and gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we eat together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your broken body. In verse 20, we read, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's drink it together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for including us around your table. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you see us. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you have given so much for us. Thank you that we can be in, together in this place today or watching from home and we can, we can celebrate such incredible, amazing grace that saves someone so undeserving as, as each of us yet we just lavish in your love. Father, it's our desire today to, to let your love and your grace so permeate our being that, 
that Lord, I, I, just, I just pray that it would just flow out of us. That it wouldn't be able to be contained, that it would just flow from those around us, and those who seem to be the least likely recipients of your grace. Father, would you touch them today? Father, we lift up those who are looking to you for prayer today, and we are so grateful that Edith could be here with us this morning. We once again pray for Edith. We lift her up before you. We pray for a miracle in her life. We pray for your peace and your strength that you would sustain and help her and walk with her. Lord, today we celebrate Richard Watson seeing improvement once again. Lord, today we are so grateful for all that you've done. We're grateful for those whose lives you're touching. We pray that you continue to be with Gaynor and I pray that you continue to be with Doug. And so many others, Lord, our family members, some of our families are far away under adverse circumstances, concerned and worried for them. Would you bring peace into our lives and would you protect and watch over them? And Father, as we leave this place today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to our hearts to show us how we may continue to show your grace and your mercy and be the people of God that you called us to be. So Lord, we just pray for your protection, your leading, and your guiding as we leave this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.